On this week's Devils in the Details, United have made Rasmus Hoyland their third and in all likelihood biggest signing of the summer. Today, we'll talk about the complexity of this striker search, Hoyland's game in detail, and whether we think he's the right man for the job. This is also our last episode before the Premier League season begins. So, we're going to give you our predictions, both for this upcoming United season and for the Premier League season as a whole. Case, first of all, on Thursday, Devils in the Details turned one year old. It would take so much more than just a couple of seconds to sum up the past year, but in short, the two of us have produced 46 full-length podcasts, this is number 47, we've been streamed in over 100 countries, our average 24-hour count is now five times what it was on episode one, and last week, we actually charted at number 22 on Spotify's UK sports podcast charts. How does it feel to be a year old in podcasting terms? Very weird. I remember the day last year when you texted me and you said, hey, I know we've talked about doing a podcast in the past, but any interest in actually doing it this year? And I think I basically, I think I said something to the effect of, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, and I, I had no real conception of where we were going to wind up or what, what we were going to do with it and how long it was going to last. But a year went by so fast. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, it feels really interesting because I think we just started it as a project to talk about United um, in a partially in a forum that's not Twitter, but also I think just add more United, um, what we think is our perspective on United into the world. Um, and I don't know, trying to introduce something that I, I'd like to hear, which is trying to go through and watch games and provide insights based on what we actually see and paying close attention to stuff. Um, and honestly, I think it's become a whole vision of, of like, we have a very clear idea of what we want to create now. And that's really cool. And it's taught me a lot about, you know, creating something for people and, and how to do it. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a great journey and I'm excited to see what we do in the next year. Yeah, me too. One quick administrative thing before we get into the football. Um, Aaron, you said this is our last episode before the Premier League season. However, United don't play until next Monday. So can you explain what's going on there? Yeah, so the Premier League starts next weekend. We upload this Monday morning, 6am as usual. Um, And next Monday morning's episode will be right before United play Wolves. Um, And so I think what we're going to do is we're going to upload next week's episode on the Tuesday morning. Um, so that we have time to watch the United versus Wolves game and actually record, um, actually record a podcast for you about that match. Um, as opposed to recording a podcast that will become outdated the moment United actually play Wolves. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't think United will have a ton of Monday kickoffs this season, but when they do, I think it's likely we're going to delay the upload. Um, starting with next week, we'll try and see how it goes. So hope that's okay for you guys and your schedules. Yeah, so just to say that again, next week there will be no episode on Monday, there will be an episode on Tuesday, and that will likely be the case going forward when there are matches, when there are United matches on Mondays. All right, next thing, case, 
you're wearing your United home kit, and it's really leading to more allegations than usual. Um, the most common question we've had this week is, is Case Rasmus Hoyland? And I, I wanted to put you on the spot here and get you to confirm whether or not it's true. Well, you know, we've never been seen in the same place, so it's difficult to say. Um, <laughs> but I can't imagine Rasmus Hoyland has the time to do this podcast and play football at a professional level. So let's certainly hope not. Well, I mean, it's no coincidence that Rasmus Hoyland has opted to join the club that he podcasts about. Allegedly. Allegedly. So, I don't know. <laughs> okay. United have signed Rasmus Hoyland. Uh, and we're going to we're gonna get into Rasmus Hoyland today. But I think before we get into who he is as a player, uh, we want to talk about the striker search as a whole. Because I think it's something that has been a big topic this summer. The striker market has been really weird this year. Um and, I mean, pretty much all year, we've both said that a striker would be United's biggest transfer pursuit this summer. I think that came from a number of things. Uh, and the one I'm going to start with is United having no strikers, because it's the most obvious. Ronaldo was not good last season and left early. Weghorst did not really work as a loan. Martial has not been fit. And even when he has been fit, you and I have had a lot to say about his performances. Um, for those who are new listeners, you might want to wind back to our episodes around January. Um Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit now, actually. Case, what if Martial were to be the starting striker, um, what would be some of the concerns that you have and, and what are some of the things that you think the side lacks as it stands um, from this striker and striker position, even when he's fit? Yeah, so I think the, the key thing that's lacking in Martial's game, and really always has been, even when he was younger, but it was less of a problem when he was younger because... He was younger and it looked like there was time for him to develop, to develop this aspect is his off-ball movement. Uh, he's overwhelmingly inclined to come to the ball, not maintain his presence on the last line in central areas, fight with center backs. He's never really been a striker who scores a lot of tap-ins, a lot of shots from point blank. He really likes to, to combine with uh, his teammates, which he's good at, uh, but it really... It, collapses the side's shape and possession. It makes it really difficult to score goals against organized sides. It reduces your threat in settled possession drastically. Um, it, there's really a lot of negatives. And so even when Martial was on form and scoring goals, a lot of the time it was because of finishing hot streaks as opposed to really good methods um, and consistent goal-scoring movement. Uh, and so I'd say that is the primary deficiency of Martial, even when he's on form. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last week we talked a little bit about whether we thought Jaden Sancho could play the striker role. And I think a lot of the themes are similar. Even if you isolate these as good players with useful skill sets, um, they have deficits in what they can do that I think we both agree United need in this side. Um, and I think the, the product of that is United lacking focal point, lacking box movement in the side, um, and then overall, a real struggle to get high quality shots off, capitalize upon advantageous situations. So in particular, last season, you would have seen United go and dominate the bottom half of the league around January, February, March, and uh, they would pin a lot of these sides back, but they would be unable to really put those games to bed, win 3-0, 4-0, 5-0 like the top sides in the league tend to do. Um, and I really think a big reason for that was lacking this kind of striker. Um, someone who's going to 
give you constant box threat, give the opposition defenders something to constantly constantly deal with, um, not gravitate towards the ball as much, but really focus on um, how they can give an option for the players who do focus on the ball a lot more, your Brunos, maybe your Antonys, um, your Mounts, to actually get the ball into the box um, and and convert good territory into high quality shots yeah I think that's a good way of putting it um going back to what you said about Martial and Sancho I agree there's a lot of similarities in the conversation that we had but I would add just for clarity for listeners I know you know this um the the obvious difference is that Martial is excellent in hold-up play whereas Sancho is not uh so you wind up with a player in Martial who does one of the two key things from a center forward at a really high level and you wind up with a player like Sancho, where he doesn't really do either of those two key things at a really high level, at center forward. Um, just, just I didn't want people to think that we were saying Martial and Sancho are equally uh, adept at center forward. Just wanted to toss that in there. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, yeah, I, I, I do think... Well, we haven't gotten into what Hoyland is good at or not, but... Spoiler alert, I do think he will offer, offer more central box threat um, than Martial, which should allow United to create from wide areas more easily uh, against lower defensive lines, which is a huge plus. And, and I think that will be worth quite a few goals this season. Awesome. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree. Another big thing we've t- been talking about amidst the striker search is I think the increasing belief that we both have that having elite attacking talent in your side is a big thing that underpins being able to win the biggest competitions in Europe. If you look at Man City having Erling Holland and De Bruyne, you look at Liverpool with Mo Salah and Sadio Mane, Bayern, like I said, they won the treble and they had Lewandowski scoring over 50 goals. All of these teams seem to have these players who provide outsized impact in attack, and that definitely underpins being able to create these huge advantages that ultimately win big competitions. And as good as I think the likes of Bruno and Rashford can be and are, I don't think they're quite at that Ballon d'Or level. And I think it's increasingly looking like United are going to need to have one of those Ballon d'Or level players in order to be able to challenge for these big honors. When you look at them compared to some of these other sides, and even look at some of the struggles that Arsenal had last season. Um... To what extent do you think that having elite talent is really, really important in in attacking areas in order to be able to win competitions? And were you kind of expecting that to come from a striker who would come in this summer? Yeah, I think the, the best attackers that United have, Bruno and Rashford, clearly aren't as good as the best attackers on the sides that have won the Premier League in the last five years. <laughs> which is mostly Manchester City, but it's also, you know, that one Liverpool side. That seems, I think, I think we've talked about this before in this podcast, but I think that seems like a bit of a brute force way of approaching winning, right? It doesn't sound very analytical to just say, oh, well, you need the best forwards to score goals. Uh, um, but I think the reality of it is these are the players who have the largest impact immediately on results. Um, you can play well tactically. You can play at an extremely high level tactically, but there's a ceiling on what you can achieve without players who 
turn that tactical dominance and quality into yeah. goal-scoring outcomes. Um, I think if you look at teams like Brighton over these last few years, Brighton have, between the two boxes, played better football than most of the top four, top four, top six sides consistently over the last three, four years. However, they haven't consistently finished above those sides. In fact, they've consistently finished below them. And the reason for that is, in my opinion, forward quality more than anything else. Um, because quality in other areas of the pitch hasn't, haven't stopped them from having territorial and possession-based dominance, from generating transitions at a higher rate, um, from pressing at a higher level than a lot of these teams, United being one of them. But even in these matches where they're often dominant, uh, that dominance isn't always translated into, into goal-scoring results and as a result, team results. And so that brings us sort of in a roundabout way back to the conversation you tried to prompt, that being United's forwards. United's forwards are better than Brighton's. So I don't want, I, I don't want, to, <laughs> I don't want that to be the takeaway here, but they're not as good as... If you, if you look at last season, if you look at the way Arsenal sort of ultimately fell behind City... There's a lot of ways to explain it. Obviously, Saliba's injury. Um, Arsenal were running hot on their expected goals to begin with. But if I had to boil it down to what it truly made the difference in the end, and the reason the the all the models had City with a really high title probability even later on in the season when Arsenal looked to have it in hand, was the fact that City's attacking quality was so much greater than Arsenal's and it made the difference in these marginal these marginal game states. And Ar- Arsenal weren't able to tip the scales even when they were the better side later on in the season in some instances. And I, so I think that's really what this is about. When you are the better side, making it count. Turning that into goals. We've talked about this before. You mentioned it earlier in this podcast. And now I'm really rambling. But United won a lot of games by one goal this season. That doesn't seem like an issue on the surface. But the reality is... A lot of those matches, just one more chance needs to get turned in by the opposition side, and then you've got a completely different outcome. You've got a draw, and then you're dropping two points, and you do that two or three times in a season, you're finishing in a very different place in the table. And so that's where forward quality comes in, this picture. And that's why I think you really need an elite player, at least one, and you you don't have that player. And they're kind of locked in at attacking midfielder and left wing, and arguably right wing, because of the decisions they've made with personnel, which means this center forward, not necessarily this center forward, but at a certain point, United need need or needed to acquire a player with elite potential, which brings us to Hoyland. And I apologize for the very long-winded reply there, but there's a lot that goes into this. Yeah, I, I wanted to frame the discussion of the striker market from that perspective because United are going into this market looking for A, the perfect tactical fit, be the perfect age profile and see elite talent. And that really restricts your options to not many players. Um, you have elite strikers who are too expensive. Um, you're looking at your Harry Canes. He's kind of aged out uh, of United's ideal age bracket and he's, and he's very expensive. You have someone like Victor Osimhen, who is, I think we both really wanted, but he is, like the the prices that have been suggested are are massive, um, and then you have a lot of these strikers who are either young and have high potential but are really expensive, 
I would put Hoyland into that category, along with someone like Gonzalo Ramos, who you're going to see move to PSG. Um, and then you have these younger or older sort of promising players, but uh, not really players you would uh, you would suggest to start for United as a long-term center forward, just kind of players who could fill the gap and maybe offer upside. Um, looking at the likes of, you know, uh, we... I think we both wanted Skamaka last summer or, you know, Medi Taremi from Porto. Um, someone like Brian Brobby, who you suggested on Tifo. Yeah. And so I think much of this summer has been about going between these two market options and then acknowledging that it's been years since United have actually had a striker project, um, but also that those projects right now seem really expensive. Um, and, and I think that really informs a lot of what United did uh, here, buying Hoyland for the massive fee. Yeah. And to sort of revisit some of the things we've said in previous episodes, before we had done like a really deep dive on Hoyland, when, you know, Aaron and I had sort of just been watching casually, going back, trying to see matches, looking at the surface, ba- the surface level numbers, we were pretty, I think, lukewarm on this move at best. Um especially at the price. I think we said basically things to the effect of this is a player that we'd like to see at United, but this is a really crazy price given his track record. That statement is still true, but I think Aaron and say so if you disagree, if you, if I'm putting words in your mouth, but Aaron and I have looked a little more closely in this past week and just, yeah, there's two ways you can put this. You can either say we talked ourselves into it, which we kind of did, or you could say we went back and we looked and the real key difference from how we were looking at it versus how we were looking at it before versus how we're looking at it now is exactly how young Hoyland is and the fact that his production and physical attributes given that age are actually very good. Um... So there's a lot of projectability here, uh, and what that means is I think his best outcome becomes the, – the, the probability of him attaining that best outcome is higher than I had previously appreciated. Do you agree with that, Aaron? Yes, I, I think so. I, I mean, I don't know. I guess we'll get into a lot of Hoyland in a minute uh, in terms of the specifics, but I, I think the – keys are that he has a lot of strengths um, on the surface and I think he has a lot of areas where they could be strengths but I think are left a little bit uncertain at this point I think what I'm what I'm yet to see with Hoyland is with most of these top top strikers who have you know your Erling Hollands your Harry Kanes your Victor Ossimans what they have is they have something in their skill set that I think is totally beyond what the other strikers in the game are able to do. So with Holland and Osimhen, I think the most obvious thing is their athleticism. They can totally outsize defenders and power through them and get to shots and get shots off in advantageous ways because their physicality creates time and space for them. With someone like Harry Kane, I think the clear advantage that he has is ball striking. Kane is consistently one of the best shooters, one of the best passers, and that allows him to turn bad shooting situations into good ones 
just based on his ability to get to take quality shots. Um, yeah, it allows I, I would, him to. I would just add a little bit to that. It's not just the ball striking, right? It's I think you're about to say say exactly what I was about to say. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, it, it, it's it's that it's not just the ball striking. It's you know he he can get good shots off when he's not in actually good positions to strike the ball. So you'll often see Kane in a position where he appears to be blocked or he appears to be farther from goal than a typical shooting position. And his ability to strike the ball with power and accuracy will just allow him to power through the ball and basically blindside the goalkeeper with his with his shooting ability. Um, and those are things that are just really hard to find um, that I think tend to be a sign that a striker could be elite. Um, an example for United that I think could be pertinent is when Anthony Martial was first breaking through. I don't think he was an elite striker, but I think I had belief that he could be an elite left winger because his 1v1 ability and his close control on the ball was outsized compared to other players at Premier League level. He looked like he could be a top-end 1v1 winger. Um, and so I, you tend to look for these, or I tend to look for these traits in forwards that suggest to me that, you know, if they have the rest of their game together, this is something that could lead to elite impact. And I think my main concern with Hoyland is that I haven't seen that yet. But there is a lot to like, and there is a lot of reason to believe he could be very, very good. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I'm, this is semantic, and I'm not really sure it matters in the context of Hoyland, but I'm going to slightly disagree about Kane. I don't think what makes Kane so special is his ball striking alone. Obviously, he's a great ball striker. I think what's made him such a prolific goal scorer has more to do with his technicality and and ability to manipulate his body in tight spaces such that shots that otherwise never would have gotten off get off. Um, His ability in in tight areas, whether in or outside of the box, not only to strike the ball well once the shot is taken, uh, but more specifically to, to receive the ball and manipulate the ball and his body and the defender in a way such that box entries turn into shots and through balls turn into shots. Uh, like his, his conversion rate in terms of not shots going into goal, but rather box entries turning into shots is incredible. And I think that's actually like the, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but that's the, the key thing that unites all these great strikers, right? Like you talked about Holland and Simmons physicality. Um, that physicality allows them to rip holes in defenses that otherwise weren't there and turn box entries into high-quality shots. Kane's technicality and his use of his body and his ball striking allow him to turn box entries into high-quality shots. Um, Cavani, his movement and in his prime, his athleticism allowed him to turn box entries into high-quality shots. Uh, and there's multiple ways to do it, but like you said, Aaron, you're looking for something that makes you think a player will be able to do that at some point um, and to be that player. Uh, and so I think that, like you said, that frames the conversation we're about to have about Hoyland. Okay, enough framing. Let's actually do it. So we've gone and watched a bunch of Hoyland matches, um, both individually and together, and both with Atalanta and his matches with the national team, um, Denmark. Uh, it seems like Hoyland's already their starting striker. And 
I don't know. I think we found a lot of interesting things. I guess the I guess the best way to start is Case. How has he been used at Atlanta, um, and how has he been used for the national team? Yeah. So this is a really interesting conversation. I think um, at Atalanta he has predominantly played in either a traditional front two or a, a sort of a hybridized front two where he is the true striker and then he's accompanied by another player who's nominally a striker but sort of plays as a support striker slash winger um atalanta just for context for those who don't know they tend to play a three four one two formation it it changes match to match depending on personnel sometimes it's a three four three um they've used back four a few times i think um but a symptom of the way they they play and this back three formation is when they're the the way they build up is heavily wing dominant with and I want you're gonna have to create a mental picture here. They'll take either their right sided center back or their left sided center back, and then that center back will split very wide. They'll almost be playing like a fullback. Their right wing back, let's say the right center back has the ball, the right wing back will go to the touchline anywhere between 15 to 20 yards ahead of the right center back, uh, sort of diagonally out to his right. The right defensive midfielder, who's in the pivot, you know, it's a 3-4-1-2, so the, the middle two of the four will be 15 to 20 yards ahead of the center back infield, and then one of the two strikers, the near-sided striker, will split out uh, and be, you know, anywhere between 20 to 30 yards ahead, um, directly ahead of the center back. And what you do is you create this wide diamond, center back, wing back, midfielder, center forward. Uh, and that is like the primary build-up structure that they use to move the ball down the pitch. This is important because it creates really weird roles for your center forwards. Um, What it does is it makes whoever is the nearsighted center forward pull out wide a lot. It makes them run into the channels a lot. It gives them a lot of duties that would otherwise be that of a a attacking midfielder or a winger. Um, And so that makes it really complicated to assess that factor along with the fact that Atalanta generally are pretty effective attacking side uh, has meant that it's difficult to assess striker performance in this system. Um, and it's more importantly, it's difficult to assess striker tendencies in the system because it's really hard to disaggregate what are a player's personal habits versus a player's tactical instructions. Um, and so that frames, our, that's, that's, that's going to frame our whole conversation about Hoyland, right, Aaron? Because you see this tendency with Atalanta but then what 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 have you seen with uh, Denmark yeah I mean for Denmark they also sometimes play a three at the back structure but generally the striker plays a much more conventional role even if they are in a partnership Um, it it really depends on the, the partnership still does inform a lot of the the way that they play but in general if you see Denmark playing two strikers what you're gonna have is those strikers are both going to be uh, running in between the opposition outside center back and the opposition fullback. 
Um, and then for Atalanta, I think in particular, what you're alluding to with the build-up structure, the problem it creates in terms of assessing Hoyland is that for Atalanta, you're looking at a striker who's going to be able to get involved in the build-up and then be involved in a lot of the box-warming movements that they do as a team. Um, in particular, I think they like to get the ball wide a lot and then work it back inside. And Hoyland's going to be involved in a lot of that, like, A, getting the ball wide, and then B, giving an option for the players out wide to try and get the ball back inside. Whereas for United, I mean, not that United aren't going to have crossing situations. I think with Hoyland, they're likely to have a lot more. But I think what you're more likely to have is uh, Hoyland being the focal point while United have settled possession around the opposition third. And Hoyland is going to be the player in between the opposition center backs trying to um, either get them to move out of the space for another runner to go in and create chances or for Hoyland to be able to get into vacant space and get onto chances. And those are two very different things. And so I think a lot of our, you know, I think in the past we've expressed questions about his movement. I think watching a lot of Atalanta, what became clear to me is that a lot of them are are more driven by the role that he plays. It's not that he can't do this stuff. It's that I can't tell if he can do this stuff based on watching him for a side that just play very differently to how United play. Um, and the more conventional setup for Denmark, I mean, you still have the channel running stuff in a striker partnership, but when he plays as a lone striker or in lone striker situations... I think the problem you just have is that the intensity of international football is so much lower. There seems to be a lot of space for Hoyland to make runs into whenever we were watching. Um, it it just felt a lot easier than the nature of club football and creating shots, and in particular the Premier League. Um, and so you had an environment where he was doing the uh, something closer to the role that he would play for United at... Um, at an, at a much lower level of football. Um, and then you had something that was a little bit closer to the level that he's going to be playing at United, but in a very, very different role. And I think that makes it just really difficult to tell just how good Hoyland is going to be and how good he can become. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, I'll, I'll say this much. I am generally, as a rule... And, you know, there's exceptions to every rule. But as a rule, I am against leaning on the argument that a player isn't doing something simply because of tactical instruction. And if that tactical instruction wasn't there, well, they'd be, an, they'd be a different player. And they'd be better or more impactful. I'm always wary of, of those conversations. And I know, Aaron, you are too. Um, because... It's really, at the end of the day, what it is, is conjecture. And I'd much rather rely yes. on the things that I have seen yes. than the things that I'm, I'm simulating, I'm playing out in my mind. Um, a good example of, of, of a, a one that happens a lot is certain midfielders who are otherwise, let's say, technically secure, but don't pass the ball forward a lot. You'll often see you know, people who are partial to that player argue, oh, well, he's actually capable of doing this. Uh, he's actually a really good passer. He just elects not to uh, because it's a tactical instruction. And in a different system, he's got way more capacity for this than he's showing. Sometimes that is true. I find overwhelmingly it is not. 
Usually, um, if a player isn't making a certain kind of pass, it's because they aren't they don't trust themselves to to put the proper weight on it consistently and play it at a high level. Um, there are again there are exceptions, but speaking in broad strokes, uh, this is an example of, of how this might play out. So, how that applies to Hoyland is. You know, I watch those Denmark matches, and another key aspect of, of those Denmark matches is international football has a very different tactical environment and and level of intensity. But I watch those Denmark matches, and if those had been the only matches of Hoyland I'd, I'd watched, I would have been like, I love this guy. I think he looks incredible. His box movement looks really deceptive. He looks like a really strong athlete. Um, he, he looks capable with the ball. Uh, his his holdup was pretty good. His link up play was pretty good, right, Aaron? Like, I mean, if those had been the only matches, we 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 started watching those matches, and we were like, "Whoa, this is a completely different player," right? Yeah, and a lot of it literally had to do with the fact that he was getting situations where he was in between the two posts, and so we got to say, "Oh, he can actually do this stuff in between the two posts," um, but. As you pointed out, you know, there was less pressure on the on the players playing the ball to him. There was more space for him to run into. Um one the the Finland match is the is the biggest example of this where, you know, they're not playing a low block, but they're not pressing Denmark either. And that creates the situation that we've talked about a lot because a lot of teams in the Premier League did it this season where they allow United to just play through them. Um and when they play through them, they don't actually have a good defensive structure to deal with uh, the attacking situations either. And that's kind of the situation that Denmark was playing in in this match, which makes it, again, really difficult to just go, okay, this is going to map just like this to Premier League football. Um, but, the, but you are right in that, you know. Um, it did make clear that he does have some very good ideas of how goal-scoring chances are created. I think there's that, that chance that everyone's seen where he's going to throw himself at the post and um and it's like a half volley where he's going to connect with the cross and just divert it into the goal um and it looks like he barely touches the ball but it's his touch that makes all the difference i love i love striker play like that um he does it he does it for atalanta too sometimes where um he will when he sees the opportunity you know make a run at the post I think I even saw in one match he injured himself on the post. Um, these are these are signs that this is something that is um, in his game, something that he's going to look to do. Um, it's just a matter of the frequency and um, efficacy with which he's going to be able to do it. Yeah, I agree. The, the whole question here is frequency. Um, if it's on the higher end, I think this could be a great player. Uh, if it's on the lower end... I think this is like a bench piece. Uh, and that, that makes like his, the variability of outcomes so wide. So, so wide. Um, I'm starting to lean more towards the higher end of outcomes uh, for a few reasons. I think he, he's clearly like a, a very high-end athlete. I don't think he's at like a Simmon or Holland or, or Darwin Nunez levels. But if those guys are like 90... 5th, 99th percentile, I think he's like 90th percentile, which means he's going to be able, to, he's definitely going to be able to athletically contend um, in, the pen, in the penalty area. Beyond that, I think you see the fundamentals of some really good movement. 
Um, and those Denmark matches make me think, you know, even though the intensity was lower and there's reason to be a little skeptical, it made me think that he has elite potential as, as a box mover, I would say. Um, you see some double moves, which as a 19-year-old, I think that's that's pretty mature movement. You didn't see that from Rashford or Martial or um, really any other young striker that I can remember at United in a long time at that age. Uh, you, you see, like I said, double moves, misdirection off the ball. Um, and, and then, like you said, a, a level of commitment to sort of breaking your nose on the posts that I think is, is like fundamentally what playing striker is about. Uh, and so all of that stuff really excites me. Um, and to sort of continue this conversation, I'm, I'm going to make a comparison that I absolutely should not make. And I will deny I made if anyone claims I did. Um, and that is Edinson Cavani actually had pretty similar production to Hoyland at 19. Um, and I would say is a pretty similar athletic profile. And I think Hoyland's potential best outcome is a player that looks a lot like Cavani. However, the key caveat here being Cavani's production blew up ages 20, 21. Um, So if you want to use that as a theoretical model, which you probably shouldn't because it's anecdotal, but humor me, um, (laughs) you really need to see Hoyland's output blow up in the next two years. Um, This can't... You can't be... If in two summers we're seeing similar production from him, I'm, I'll am i be way, 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 way lower on him. Uh, just because I think these... these, Just in general, I think ages 20, ages 21, those are the years where you see elite center forwards start playing like elite center forwards. Uh, there are exceptions. You see you've got players like RVP, for example, who didn't become elite goal scorers until 25, 26, 27 even. Um, but overwhelmingly these, these elite players, which is what Hoyland needs to be at the fee we've paid for him, given what else we have available in the squad in terms of raw quality, these are going to be key years. Um, so with that in mind, I mean, Aaron, what are you expecting from him this season? I mean, if he matched his output at Atlanta, but played a lot more, I think that would be a decent first season, but that's not the level that you're talking about here. Um, he got nine goals in Serie A in about 2190s. Um, I think he needs to be clearing one and two in his United career comfortably. Um, in his career, for sure. But how about this season? This season, I mean, if he can match that at United, I think it's a huge upgrade. Um, it, it's hard to put a number and match, go, match what? Match what? If he can match, you know, two, just over two goals every five games um, and and... You know, we'll we'll get on to the rest of his game in a minute, but most of it's good. Like he's he's got good hold up play. I don't think it's, you know, Ivan Tony levels, like I said to you. He's I got mean, no good ways, but... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's good though. And he's a good presser. I think he's gonna add a lot to United's press. Um I think his physicality is going to make it easier in situations where United do want to go long. Last season, obviously United went long a lot more than I'm expecting to them to this season. Um so I'm not worried about any of that stuff, but I don't think he provides outsized value in any of those areas. Um, and I'm not expecting him to in goal scoring initially, but that like the reason why we've been on this for 
15, 20 minutes is that, you know, this is the big thing. This is the, this is the question mark. If he's going to score two and five for his United career, then like you said, he's a high end squad player. If he's going to score one and two, that's where he begins to become a bit like closer to a starter. Um, if he's going to score two and three, then we're a starter. Yeah. If he scores one and two, he's a starter. If he scores three and five, then you're starting to talk about, you know, one of the best strikers in the world. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and these sound like such, you know, it sounds so marginal, right? It's Um, okay. Put it this way, right? It sounds in a, in a 30 game season, a, a striker who scores two and five is scoring 12 goals. A, A striker who scores one and two is scoring 15. A striker who scores two and three is scoring, sorry, not two and three, um, six and ten, three and five is scoring 18. Um, In one season, that might not be a huge difference, 12 to 18, but a striker who's going to add you six goals. I think it's a huge difference. (laughs) It is a big difference, but not one that is outside the realms of variability of a single player. So, for example, Hoyland could go and score 18 goals next season and then score 12 the year after. And that wouldn't be crazy. Um, my, my point is, if, if, if we go with the model of how many goals does this striker add over other strikers, if Hoyland's going to give you 18 goals versus 12 goals every season for the next five, that's a massive, massive difference in the, yeah. in the Premier League. That's six goals from one player. Um, yeah. So that's why these small margins uh, and, and these pedantic, you know, numerical interpretations mean so much in the grand scheme of how good this player is actually going to be. If he goes and plays 300 games and scores 180 goals for United, everyone's going, wow. If he goes and plays 300 games and scores 120 goals, he's he's basically what Rashford and Martial have done. Um, or, or more so Martial. I think Rashford's beginning to take off um, in his goal output. But yeah. Yeah, so two things to add on to what you just said. The first being... Uh, just so everyone's clear, when we say 12 goals or 18 goals, we're talking about non-penalty goals in the league. We, we do this just to normalize the conversation, to have a clear um, baseline. Because once you, once you start saying, oh, if he scores 40 goals this year or 20 goals this year, and you're talking about all competitions, what does that even mean, right? Um, how many games is he playing? How many minutes is he playing? How many competitions are United in? How far are they progressing? It, once you start having really... Once you, if you don't really limit the scope, these numbers cease to have significance. So that's why Aaron is saying twelve versus eighteen. Am I correct? Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I think what Aaron just said is key. Uh, you know, a single eighteen goal season is isn't really justifying this fee. Um, but if his true output level is eighteen goals a season, and he's you know, varying around that. If one year it's 15 and one year it's 21, um, that's an elite striker, right? Uh, you can have down years as long as your up years sort of compensate for them. Um, or you're always generally in the echelon of elite strikers. Uh, I bring up that last point, and, and this is about to get very analytical and very nerdy and also very American core, uh, but there's a great article that actually has to do with baseball from about 20 years ago um, that was written about Alex Rodriguez, who at the time was one of the best players in baseball. Um, 
But more specifically, he was every year he was one of the best players, but he was almost never the best player. Uh, but he was consistently, you know, top five, top ten for five, ten years. And he wound up getting this huge contract that most people agreed was an overpay because this wasn't the best player in baseball. It was just one of the best players in baseball for a long period of time. And what this article did was it argued essentially that the guarantee of a player who will be always one of the best players is actually far more valuable than a player who has one season where they are the best player and then sort of varies back and forth wildly. And maybe they're the best player and then for two seasons they're very good, but they're really not even, they're not top 10, they're not top 25, they're just good. And then they have another season where they're one of the best players. That baseline where you're guaranteed elite production, even if they're not the best, is essentially worth valuing a player as if they're the best. Um, And I can, uh, we can link this article in the description if people are interested in the actual minutia of it. Um, But I think this is a key insight when you're talking about, you know, who Hoyland becomes and and what is elite production. He doesn't need to win the golden boot every season. He just needs to reach a certain level consistently where he's worth the value of this fee, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's good. <laughs> um, is there anything else we want to say about Hoyland? There's probably, we really, we haven't gotten too much into the, the details of his, of his game outside of goal scoring. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think it, it's, it's kind of weird. He, he is just good. Like I think his pressing seems good. Um, his hold up play in particular, I think there are some interesting, uh, actually there's some interesting things to talk about this hold up play. Um, he, I'd say overall he's good. Um, he can, he can take balls into feet, hold off defenders and either turn himself forward or win fouls. Um, I think the thing that in particular, um, might be holding him back is, uh, I think he could improve his technique while receiving. This is something I said to you. Um, often he can kind of, um, stick a foot out at the ball as it's coming towards him and therefore lose a little bit of contact with the defender that he's, that his back is to. And this can throw off his balance sometimes and make it a little bit more difficult for him to ground himself. Um, and I think the solution to that is to hold your ground and let the ball actually come into you. Um, but it's also a difficult one to judge because sometimes you don't have the time to do that. Um, there are also, I think, uh, one thing that's really nice about him is uh, when he does get on the turn and starts running, he can actually dribble really proficiently. Um, this isn't something that I tend to expect from strikers, but it is a really nice trait because um, it makes him, I think, a, a well above average, um, a well above average striker in transition situations. I think he can get in behind, but he can also run at defenses. Um, he also does look up, I think. Um, sometimes he runs into the first man when he's dribbling, but I don't really think it's like a uh, a thing that... I, I don't think it's a decision-making problem. I think sometimes he just gets into situations where he gets forced to commit and then gets stuck in there a little bit. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think he's a, I think he's a good dribbler. Um, I think he's a good hold-up player. Nothing absurd or, or you know... Um, extremely noteworthy, but 
it, it is nice to have that because I think it's going to allow United to get the ball into central areas. Um, and also, I think it's going to make them even better in transition, which is huge for a team that's already very good. You, you sort of alluded to all of this, but I, I want to get very specific. Let's talk about weaknesses, right? Clear uh, play spots where he's not, you know, perfect. Um, you mentioned the hold-up play is good, but sometimes he fails to make first contact with the defender, um, which, you know, sometimes that's sometimes a, as a result of the ball that gets played to you, right? Sometimes you aren't put in a position where you can make first contact with the defender and be first to the ball, which in that instance you're going to have to compromise, and then yeah, you might wind up losing the ball. Um, beyond that, I think... His dribbling isn't great. I don't think it's bad. It's definitely better than, for instance, Cavani or Ronaldo's was um, when they were here. But uh, I don't think he's an elite quick twitch athlete. In that, I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's a Garnacho or Rashford level uh, quick burst player where he can commit the ball to a spot and then beat a player to that spot consistently. But I do think he can beat players on the dribble, in particular center backs. I think his ball striking is inconsistent, especially with his right foot. I don't think he always puts himself in a position to um, get the best shot off. That said, I don't think he's a bad ball striker. I don't expect him to be below his expected goals consistently. Sorry, Aaron, you look like you're about to say something. Go ahead. No, I would say, yeah, I, I would make it clear that I don't think he's a bad ball striker. I, don't, I think it's unlikely that this is going to be a player who... You know, like like the Hollands and Canes has outsized performance on their expected goals, but I don't think it's a problem either. I agree, um, and I and in particular, about, yeah, yeah, he can get some really good driven shots off on his left foot. I think, which is nice. Yep, I, I think he's going to be a totally capable finisher. Um, I, he's he's shown like a couple, a pretty wide variety of finishes. hasn't shown a lot of hasn't scored a lot of headers, uh, which be something to keep an eye on because I think we definitely want him to score headers. Um, but, you know, you've seen him do a little dink over the keeper in transition. Uh, you've seen him drive the ball with his left foot. Um, a couple toe poke goals. Um, you like to see the variety. I don't think it's, like, key. I think some of the best finish in the, finishers in the world don't actually have variety in their finishing. Um, but in his instance, I, I think it's a positive. Yeah. Yeah. In particular with the headers, that's an interesting one because I do think he is, regardless of not scoring too many to date, he does seem like by far United's now best attacker in the air. Um, unless I'm forgetting about someone. I, I do no, think I, agree. He, I mean, Casemiro maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, Casemiro for sure. And then, and then probably Hoyland. Um, you, you get, he does get connection with the ball pretty frequently. Um, I think. How many he scores in the air will probably be dependent on how much of this is due, again, to Atalanta's playstyle versus his actual heading ability. Um, I think, in particular, I could see him scoring a few at the posts. I think where he might struggle is to challenge and beat center backs in, in 50-50s. Like he's a, he's a relatively tall player, but I don't think he's a physical height advantage or jumping advantage over the center backs in the Premier League as a whole. Um, and so the, the headers he gets off are going to be because of good placement and timing um, and delivery. 
So yeah, but that helps again. Like Martial doesn't really score headers. Rashford scored a few last season, but I don't really think it's a key part of his game. Uh, again, most of his are at the post as well. Um, United haven't had a striker who buries a ton of headers in a while. Cavani. Yeah. Well, other Cavani scored uh, like his a, head all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, but yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, Cavani was like a flash in the pan. So uh, as a rule, United haven't had a big aerial threat from their center forwards. Um, probably Zlatan is the last one I can think of. I mean, Lukaku probably scored a fair a bit, few, but but like not a, not a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Funnily enough, though, though it's true that Martial hasn't scored a lot of headers, some of my favorite Martial goals are headers. Um, yes. The the one against Chelsea in particular, do you remember? Yes, yes. Um, the Aston yeah. Villa one's the one I always remember. Yep, that one too. Uh, anyway, not important, just a, an aside. Um, yeah, otherwise on, on Hoyland, the hold-up play, I think, I think a really key aspect of what he's going to add to this team is he's an outlet in the channels. Um, I think we'll see Onana go long to him, and it will actually work a lot more often than it worked last season with De Gea going long to whoever was playing center forward. Um, so that, that I think that will, you know, play a mar- have a marginal positive impact on the side. I do wonder with the finishing. Going back to that, I think there's a chance that because he's not an elite finisher, he gets pegged as a bad finisher if he has a bad run of finishing early on, right? Don't you think that's a possibility? I feel like that's a possibility yeah, with the way that, that happens. I feel like you're, you might see people overanalyzing how he strikes the ball because he's not a super consistent striker of the ball. It's not that he's a bad striker of the ball. I think especially with his right foot, he just sometimes he connects well and sometimes he doesn't. Um, but I would, I really, I would stress not to read into it too much because he's definitely not like bad at it. I think that that. That could become a thing, and it's, I, I, I would refute that pretty strongly. Yeah. I mean, overall, I think we can begin to tie this together. I think yeah. you, have an, you have an average to above average Premier League striker that you've signed. Um, and he's 20 years old, which makes that really good for his age. Um, and I think where the two of us are maybe struggling a little bit is how this maps to the you know 70 million fee um, or so that we saw being paid. But overall, I think it's very likely that he's going to improve United a lot. He's going to be a very good player. Um, and hopefully he's going to be even better than that. And I, I think, yeah, he's just a well-rounded striker who's going to allow United to play the way they want to play a lot more. Um, which, I don't know, even though I do think the fee was a little bit too high for the guarantees you're getting, I think that is something that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Me too. I, I th- like you said, the range of outcomes is really wide, but ultimately this is exciting. And I think I understand why they made this decision better than I did the last time we spoke about Hoyland. Um, and I am optimistic. I'm much more optimistic than I was about this move a month ago. So, you know, maybe that's copium, but can I say copium? <laughs> yes, you can say copium. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe that's copium, but uh, no, I don't think it is. I think there's there's strong reason for optimism, but this season and the ensuing season, in particular this coming season, will tell us a lot about him. I think there's it's anyone who tells you they know exactly what we're going to get from Hoyland. I think is kind of 
playing themselves off as knowing more than they do. On that note, I think we should go to a quick break and then we can do some quick fire predictions for the next season. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome back to Devils in the Details. This is the part of this episode where we make a total embarrassment of ourselves trying to predict what's going to happen in the Premier League this season. And we're going to start with Man United and we're going to do a quick fire here, uh, maybe with a little bit of room for explanation, and that's inevitably going to turn into a lot of room for explanation, but we're going to try and keep it to a quick fire at least relatively. We're going to start with the big one, league finish. Case, where do Man United finish in the league this season? Fourth. Now I'm going to give a long-winded explanation of why I say that. <laughs> um, I think the range of outcomes for United is pretty wide this season. I think the key variables will be, number one, the press. If United press at an elite level this season, which I think it's possible that they may, I think this, this, the, the sky is... the the Some really great things could happen. If that happens, then like you could be in a place where you're like the second best side in the, in the league. I think that there's a possibility that if United's press comes together, which I'm not sure we've really seen the evidence that it will, at least early on in preseason. That's the first thing that's going to affect variability here. How good is Hoyland, I think, is the second thing. We've, I'm not going to talk too much about this because we just talked about it. Um, what, what are Sancho and Anthony? Uh, this is, that's going to be huge. Um, are they league, like, like, are you going to be able to get solid output from one of those two at right wing? Um... Yeah, I would say those are the three big factors for me. Uh, and then I, I guess also midfield play and, and to a much lesser extent right back. Those will be the big question marks. Uh, but yeah, fourth place is sort of like what I expect. Yeah, I think I'm the same. Um feel like it could be third. I There's some variability with other teams as well. Like a lot of teams have switched managers. There have been some big squad overhauls this summer i have no idea what half the london teams are going to be doing next season but i think i'm i'm sticking with fourth for now um how about how about the champions league predicting the champions league is always so much sillier right because just like the weirdest things can happen no it's totally ridiculous uh all right in the spirit of trying to predict average outcome i'm gonna say united make it to the quarterfinal uh that's what but, I had. But like my my less rational prediction would be the semifinal. I think it's possible. I think it's like very possible. And I think it's more possible than like a, a true title challenge for sure. Interesting. Yeah, I agree. I mean, United could make the final. I think yeah. I don't think they're much worse than that Inter Milan team that was in the final a couple months ago. I don't think they're ago. worse. I, I don't I think I think it's likely it might that even United be better. this season yeah. will be better than that Inter side. I think it's very likely to be honest. Um 
Okay, uh, domestic trophy, yes or no, I think, for this one. Uh, I'll say no, <laughs> just because I think the odds <laughs> I also are, had no. Like, the odds are always no, right? Uh, not to say that they can't. Um, I hope they do. Uh, the FA, winning the FA Cup would be nice. It was a little bit gutting at the end last season. I'd, l- I'd like to get that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll say no. Okay. Um, yeah, pretty much in agreement so far. Top scorer? Okay, so I went on the FML FPL podcast yesterday uh, to talk about United's sort of fantasy Premier League outlook. Uh, I I don't play fantasy Premier League religiously. I kind of do it very, very casually. Uh, but I gave my takes, and I did say Bruno top scorer, uh, which I said partially to be spicy. But I think there's a, actually probably a, a very good chance of it. Uh, United took very few penalties last season. I think they'll probably take more this year. Bruno underperformed his expected goals by a pretty wide margin. I also expect the side to attack better this season. Um, yeah, I think you're probably going to pick Rashford, so I'll pick Bruno. So we've got, got some diversions here. Yeah, I actually did pick Rashford. Um, so, I mean, I basically just think Rashford's likely to score above 20 again, and I'm not really sure we're... No, are we, saying, are we saying all comps? Go, all comps. Score? Oh, okay, I guess it doesn't make a difference, but yeah. <laughs> it really doesn't if it's Rashford and Bruno because they play every game. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's likely to be Rashford. I don't think Bruno's likely to score 20 plus. I don't think Hoyland is likely to score 20 plus. I wouldn't be surprised if either of those things happened. I would be very surprised if it wasn't one of those three. Yeah, I agree. I'd be very surprised if it wasn't one of those three. Um I'll, also, I'll, I'll caveat my answer. I think Bruno outscores Rashford in the league. I'm not certain he does in all comps, just because I find Rashford scores a lot of goals in domestic comps. Um, yeah. Especially the earlier rounds, he tends to bag like a brace against Reading or something, uh, which I find Bruno does to a lesser extent. So I'll say Bruno is, is our leading goal scorer in the league. Okay. Okay. How about assists? Bruno. Yeah, Bruno. Most minutes? <laughs> Onana. Ah, see, I have Bruno, but with a shout-out for Onana. I think my my uncertainty here is, I don't know whether United are going to bring in another goalkeeper. I don't know who's going to be the backup goalkeeper. Zion if it's Heaton, Suzuki. if it's Zion Suzuki or Kovar, I think there's a chance they get some minutes. If it's Heaton, then Onana is going to be first for minutes this season. Yeah. For okay, sure. if I had to pick an outfield player for that, though, yeah, it's Bruno. <laughs> okay. uh, player of the season um, if it's not your top scorer who played the most minutes and got the most assists <laughs> um, oh man I, I, I want to pick Mount I want to pick Mount um, but you're right it makes no sense to pick Mount if Bruno <laughs> is the leading goal scorer and the leading assister and plays the most minutes but there's no way Bruno's not going to lead the team in assists. Like, I'll be astonished if he doesn't. Even though I think, like, I guess there's an outcome where Mount, like, you know, we, we score a lot from set pieces. Um, and Mount otherwise, you know, gets some... I think it's possible. I think it's possible. But, like, it's not it's not going to happen. It's not by any means the most likely outcome. So, yeah. Uh, oh, man. I guess it's Bruno. That's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> um... What can I say? I mean, I I would have picked Bruno too. I it's not going to be a defender. There's some defenders I'd like to pick. I'd love for it to be Mount. I'd love for Mount to just have an amazing season. That would be that would be great. 
But no. What if it was Hoyland? What if Hoyland scores like? Hey, I'm not. I will. I will complain. Uh, Okay, biggest surprise. Ooh. Okay. Biggest surprise. Okay, I'll have. I'll give. I'll give two answers. Oh, this is such a scary one because like this isn't this doesn't pick itself. All right, my second answer is. If United sign Sofian Amrabat, he plays. He's one of the three players who plays the most minutes in midfield for United this season, uh, in the league. I'll say that's my surprise. Okay. Uh, if they sign him. Okay. Um. If they don't sign him, which you know, distinct possibility. Uh. Biggest surprise. Biggest surprise. This is so hard. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say Garnacho is United's third leading goal scorer in the league. Wow. Okay. Okay. My my second one was Garnacho scoring double figures, but that's not what I went okay. with in the end. What I went with was Kabi Mainu playing more minutes than I would have thought a month or two ago. Definitely. Okay, you gotta you gotta give stricter parameters than I would have thought because like like okay, I, fine. I, I agree. Fine, 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 fine. Kabi Menu plays north of fifteen hundred minutes all competitions this season. Okay, I see it. It's gonna be harder with the injury, but I see it. Um, yeah, okay. I'll caveat my I'll, I'll make my Garnacha one cleaner because I feel like third leading goal scorer is meaningless. Um, let's <laughs> say. Twenty goals and assists, all comps. Garnacho. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, biggest disappointment. Biggest disappointment. I think United finished below where they finished last season, so I think that's probably the biggest disappointment, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think. I think there's even. I think United could get a lot better this season. And finish on as many or fewer points as they did last season. And I know I've said this multiple times, but United probably collected more points last season than they should have, uh, based on how they played. Uh, so if they play a lot better this season, they could still finish on, what did we have last season? 72, 73, 75? I forget how many. 75. 75. I'll, I'll, it's definitely possible we can get more, but like 75, I would be surprised if we got more than that. Interesting. Yeah. Um. No. Actually, I think I think it, it, you think I this think team. Can... You think like what? Do you, what do you think? What would you guess if you had to guess how many points we get this? Season? I'd be you surprised think, like, if United got more than eighty. Yeah. I'd, I'd be astonished. Like not. Yeah, it's a possibility, maybe. but I think it's like a ten percent probability we could go over eighty. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely upper quartile. Like I. I don't think it's. I don't think it's likely. Um. But I don't think more than seventy-five is unlikely. Like I think there's. Um, what would you say the average? Like, what's your 50th percentile? It's median, but still. Um, I don't know. 76, 77. One or two more than oh, last you're season. You're really splitting the hairs there. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I think United are marginally better than they were last season. I think the league looks like it's going to be roughly the same quality as it was last season. I think United um, are a lot better than they were last season. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think it's. I don't think it's ridiculous to suggest they could get more points. I think seventy five was a United's high tally. Like, exactly. But. I just think they're true. I think the level United played at last season probably deserved more like sixty-eight points than seventy-five. Um, so maybe 
<laughs> yeah, so I'd say that's the big disappointment. My other disappointment... Hmm. There's so if, many options. If, There's so many if, ways we could be let down. If it um, was 68 last season, I don't think it's crazy to suggest that Mount, Onana, Hoyland, Amrabat, maybe, and one or two youth additions to the first team could add six to eight points to that team. No. I, or I, mean, I guess I, 76, 77 I, would be yeah, eight points. I, yeah. I, I mean, I expect it to add something like that, just a little bit less than you do, I guess, as an average outcome. We're really not far apart on this at all. Um, okay. my I mean, my disappointment was I think United could be running into some issues at right back. Um, I, I'm i not liking that Dalo is not nailing down the place. I thought that he was really, really good in the first half of last season. And I think if he's not good enough to maintain this spot, I think that's going to be a constant source of weakness in the side. That's going to become the new, like goalkeeper De Gea. yeah 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 i agree um, i think sorry no the, the best outcome is 45 dollar 90s this season and then i think it's fine but it doesn't yeah. seem like that's going to happen at this stage i'll say this much i think Dallo was not as bad against lenses as he was made out to be but obviously that back pass that led to onana getting lobbed is is deeply unfortunate <laughs> and like it's it's unfortunate more because it plays into narratives than anything else. But um, beyond that, yeah, I agree. I, I think right back only becomes a real problem, though, if the other potential failure points don't occur. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think we'll be talking about right back a lot if the press is bad or if Hoyland isn't very effective or if Sancho and Anthony aren't very effective or if Mount flops, which I don't think is really a possibility. But if he were to... Or if Casemiro and Bruno and Varane are making a lot of mistakes playing out. Like, I, I just, I think there's so many other options for, you know, this season's villain. <laughs> I, I don't think right back, I think right back only becomes that if we're otherwise playing really well. So I, I kind of hope we see that um, <laughs> in a weird roundabout way. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I, I can see the hot spot developing there. Okay, let's move to the league. Case, who will win the league in a depressing question? I mean, Manchester City. Uh, yep. This okay. picks itself. Yeah, Champions we'll League qualification, that. second to fourth? Second Liverpool, third Arsenal. Okay. I have second Arsenal, third Liverpool. But mostly because I don't know where to place Liverpool. Um, I'm unconvinced Arsenal have gotten as much better as they probably should have, having spent 200 and something million at this point. Um, but I do think. They are likely to still have enough to be better than Liverpool, um, even as they are. So, um, yeah, I think Liverpool just have so much higher of a ceiling with the players yeah. they have than Arsenal no, I agree. do. Um, it's it's hard to place them because I think they could even finish below United, but yeah. I, I do think like their ceiling is the second best team in the league. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I think their ceiling is like second best in the league and pushing City. Um, not not actually better than them, but like in it till late. I think you could see a title char- a title fight between the two. Um, yeah, I, I think as for Arsenal, I think you are less enamored with the moves they made this this transfer period than I am. Uh, I, I not that I'm enamored with them. I think they're fine. Uh, 
I think Arsenal are kind of at the hard point of their project. Yeah. Uh, where you can't just buy players who are better than the players that you have. You have to... Like, the, the difference between them and City is elite talent. It's not filling weaknesses. And I'm, I, I don't think they acquired elite talent in this transfer window. I don't think Kai Havers is going to create that elite attacking impact in the final third. I'm not convinced Declan Rice is that much better than Thomas Partey. Um, I like Urien Timber. I'm not certain he starts in this team. Uh, that, that sounds really down. Raya over I, Ramsdale? Raya, Raya makes them better. Raya makes them better. But I don't think he makes them that better. Um, yeah. th- that much better. Yeah, I don't know. I think like yeah. if anything, they've solidified what they did last season. Maybe uh, depending on whether you, I mean, they still overperformed in general last year. Like if you look at the, I mean, a lot. It evened out a lot at the end of the season, but you still saw a team put up more points than their performance levels indicated they should. We'll see how it all plays out this season. I mean, they'll have Jesus for a full season theoretically. I think. I think the real. What gives Arsenal a ceiling is the possibility of Martinelli or Saka really blowing up and becoming like an elite level player, or maybe Enketia, uh, if you think that's a possibility. Um, yeah, I think that's where their ceiling lies, uh, but I still don't think that ceiling is is winning a league title as as currently constructed. Yeah, yeah, I pretty much agree. Um, fifth to seventh. Yeah, this is where it gets interesting. Yeah, this is where I got a little interesting. Fifth. I'm definitely going to regret this pick. I said Spurs. I moved them out of fifth after believing that they're going to sell Kane. Um, Sorry, after believing that they're going to sell Kane. um, I moved them down to seventh after that. Sixth? I think I had Brighton. No, no. Yes, I did have Brighton. I had Brighton. Yes. And seventh? Seventh, I had Newcastle. Okay. I had those in reverse-ish. Like, I had Brighton fifth. Newcastle 6th, Spurs 7th. Um, based on Spurs selling Kane, if Spurs keep Kane, then I think they're 5th. Um, Sounds like we're both really down on Chelsea. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think Chelsea will be comfortably better than they were last season. Um, yeah, I don't think that'll be hard to achieve. Yeah, but I think besides having one or two really, really good players, I think they're in a lot of disarray. Um, and there's a long road to recovery, and I'd, I question whether Robert Sanchez is the solution to the to the goalkeeper situation. Um, it seems like they might be signing Tyler Adams to pair Enzo in midfield, but they need someone who's going to pair Enzo in midfield. Um, I don't know. Nkunku is a good signing, but they lost Mount. Um, regardless of Nicholas what you think Jackson of Roberts. Nicholas Jackson looks pretty good. Nicholas Jackson looks pretty good. Um, I guess you've got Mudrick, Sterling, and Madueke as your wing options. I don't know. It doesn't. It's not impossible that they knit together a team that could get into Europe, but I'm just not betting on it at this exact moment. I think Newcastle were really solid last season. Um, I don't think they've really moved the needle this summer, which is why I have them dropping a lot, but I think they've done enough to prove that they're a legit team. Um, and I think Brighton have moved the needle this summer. So Yeah, and I would... I. Th- for a long time, I thought very highly of Mauricio Pochettino. I still do. I'm not convinced he is the manager for this project, and I'm confused by the recruitment approach. I'm like less enamored with it than I was in January. I think like their squad is not better than it was in January. Uh, obviously, clearing out a lot of players can help. It can just create clarity. 
Um, and I don't think they're going to score as infrequently as they did last season. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, man. I just think, I just think there's a lot of really good teams and I don't, I'm not convinced they're, they've, I've got no reason to believe they are going to be better than those teams that I think are good for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'd have them eighth for what it's worth, but yeah, I, me too. Me too. And then Villa, I think I had. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, that checks out. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anyone. Villa, Villa have made some good signings, so. Okay, relegation. You go first. Sure. <laughs> um, I've got Luton Town, Fulham. Uh, yeah, I've got Luton Town 20th, Fulham 19th, and Sheffield United 18th. Um, I could also see it being Nottingham Forest, but I went with Sheffield United. Interesting. I have Luton Town 20th. I have Everton 19th, and I have Wolves 18th. Oh, wow. Okay. Everton going down. I actually, now come to think of it, I kind of see it. I I forgot how bad their business is. Their business has been. I I just don't see what's keeping this team up, to be honest with you. Like, I I love Deitch. I think think he could keep them up, but, like, I don't see the raw quality that's, like, that's doing it. It's, it, it's going to take an all-timer job, in my opinion, given the, the quality that's otherwise in this division at this point. What do you think of the Dan Juma signing? I think he's a good player. I, I think he's a very, very good player. Um, he better be great if he's gonna, if this team is going to stay up. Um, he's also kind of a weird player. I, I, in my opinion, he's not really a Sean Dyche player. He's sort of a, a left winger who's... Who's, who's very inverted. He's very much a second striker type left winger. Um, he's ca- capable in isolation, but I certainly wouldn't want to see him in playing left wing in a 4-4-2, which means he's got to be one of those that front two, which if that could work. I could see him being effective there, but I don't think he's going to be battling for long balls. Like this is, I, I think he's kind of like a, a, a high-end off-ball piece in a possession-based side as opposed to whatever this is going to be. Not to say that he can't bag like 12 goals this season. Yeah, I think him and Calvert-Lewin performing will be the big thing. Yeah, I mean, if that happens, it sort of changes the equation, but I don't know if I have faith in that. Do... Why Wolves? Why, why Wolves 18th? I just was very unconvinced by what they looked like last season, and their their, their transfer window hasn't convince me otherwise why is there something that you think is intriguing about them no i mean i guess i always just think they have enough quality to get through i guess they lost ruben neves which is big um but they have got they got cunha gedge fabio silva all returning which is reasonably good i don't know if they i don't know if they've sent any of those back out i just i don't know where the goals are coming from like who's gonna score yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, I don't know. I, I think the idea was that Cunha would be the goal scorer. But I don't know. I just always think that they have enough to stay up. And I also like Lopetegui. I like Lopetegui too. I, it's not, I don't think this is a guarantee. I think this is kind of a weird year to pick relegation. I almost always pick two promoted sides to go down. But that's basically what season, I did. Yeah, that last season that didn't happen. So I was like, well... I'll change it. What's that called? There's a, there's a kind of bias. I forget what it is. It's I think it's gambler's fallacy. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally get the Everton argument. I think I'd still pick Wolves to stay up. I, I feel like going back to the 75 points discussion, there are a lot of teams in this in this league that are not convincing me right now. Um, 
Like I, we listed three pretty easily. Um, I do think Sheffield Bournemouth looked pretty good. I don't good. know that much about. The, I agree. I think Bournemouth will stay up. I really like what they've done this summer. I don't know that much about Sheffield United coming up. But like, I, me neither. Yeah, me neither. I, I just, um, I'm looking at the players they're signing and. And I, I do wonder if we're putting a little too much faith in Burnley. I do wonder if, like, because it's name brand, because it's Vincent Company, because you know it's all over the media. I mean, this was the best team in the championship, but like, I, I, I do think they'll stay up. I'm less worried about the manager and that they were the best team in the championship and more just seeing that they've spent a lot of money. Um, I mean, not that doesn't always yeah. work for teams that come up, but... I mean, it worked they, for Forrest. <laughs> it did work for Forrest. Um, yeah, I mean, they've signed players. I think that's, that's a good sign. Like, I don't... Yeah, no, I, I generally agree. Um, um, yeah. They were the be- they were the yeah. best of the three already, and then they signed players. So sometimes there's I mean, more like, tactically yeah. complicated considerations than that. But no, I yeah, I think I think they will stay up. I have them staying up. I have them. I think I have them in like 14th or something. Okay, biggest um, surprise. Biggest surprise. I did this last season with Spurs, so maybe I'm just a fool. But I think Spurs could be really good. Uh, yeah, I like Angie Postacoglu. I like their attackers. I think a switch to a back four actually suits this squad in a lot of ways. I just think he could improve the vibes, <laughs> which I think you've got a manager who, who is tactically astute, which I think he is, and you've got good quality in key positions, and the vibes are improved. I think especially when there's a, a swing from very bad vibes to even remotely good vibes, that can have a, a really positive effect. I think you could. I think you, I think like a strong fifth where they where they're uh, you know really annoying and make you sweat if you're in fourth. Yeah, I guess that's my surprise. Is that a surprise? I think they're going to be good for what it's worth. I just think they're going to lose the attacking edge that has given them. I think has if they lose Kane, my prediction will change very much, and I will say so. Yeah, I think they. I think I'm predicting that they're going to lose Kane more than I'm predicting that they're not going to be good. Um, but I'm gonna. I, I had two other surprises. I mean, you already alluded to Bournemouth. I think they're doing some pretty cool stuff. I think they could be in for like a solid mid-table finish if this if this goes to plan. Um, yeah, Iriola is the real deal. Like I, I could see them finishing top half. Um, yeah, and the other one is Brighton. I mean, I guess it's not even surprising at this point. But like, they've actually gone. I think they have added the thing that they haven't had in the past few seasons, which is attackers who might actually deliver double figures in the league um, or high-end attacking output. Um, I, I think adding Caduce into midfield is huge. Um, I think Evan Ferguson's going to play more, and he looks really good. Um, Matoma has emerged really well in the last year. They signed Joao Pedro, who had actual production at Watford, so I feel like he's going to do even better at Brighton. Um they still have Caicedo, technically. They still have Caicedo. If they still if they keep Caicedo, I'm going to be watching 38 Brighton matches yeah, this season. Yeah, I will watch a lot of Brighton. <laughs> I don't um, know. If, so I'm sure all of you saw him at the World Cup, but Kudus is one of the most fun players in world football. Uh, he's incredible. Like, oh, he's incredible. Like his, his ability to pick up the ball in central areas and beat players like aggressively... Like just just you know basically putting the ball in a spot 
and beating players to that spot consistently, no matter who they are, it's really nuts. Like, he's just stronger and faster and so incredibly intelligent about where he, like, his weight of touch and where he places the ball to beat these players. Um, I don't know exactly how good he's going to be ultimately. I don't know what position is his best. In my opinion, it's sort of an 8-10 role in midfield. Um, I think that's what he's going to play. We'll see. Some people are saying right wing, but I, oh, I don't want to see that. I'd rather I'd rather see him in midfield areas, like you said, uh, just because, like, from like a fun perspective, the perspective of Case watching football and enjoying himself, Kudus in central areas is just like ridiculously fun. <laughs> Kudus and Caicedo is is just so incredible. I can't. Yeah. Uh, they need to keep him now. If if United aren't getting Caicedo, uh, Brighton need to keep him and. Yeah, I mean they also have they have Moda Hood and Billy Gilmore who are going to be probably in that third spot in central midfield. Um, the attacking options look good. They've got some other squad pieces that I didn't even mention. Did like Gross leave? Nope, Gross is there. Yeah, I imagine Gross will, will still play. I think he might I mean, play I know right. He played back. some wing back. Yeah, he played some yeah right wing back. Then they've got Estupinian and they've got Duncan Webster as their center back partnership, and they've signed Verbergen and goal. So. I don't know. Seems like they look pretty good. I I I don't think they will make top four, but I really don't think it's that absurd. If they have one of their attackers hits double figures, um, I think that I think they could get pretty deep into the European positions and pretty deep into the Europa League. Um, disappointment side that disappoints. Ooh, I guess Chelsea. I mean, we're saying eighth place for Chelsea, which like I be their third worst finish in the Premier League era, I think. Yeah, um, that's true. I was going to... I I had Fulham getting relegated. I don't know if that's a disappointment at this yeah. stage. I mean, I think it is given that they finished top half last season. Yeah, but they lost, they're they losing their main striker. They yep. overperformed massively on metrics. Um, they also haven't replaced Willian. They are aging rapidly and... I don't know where the goals are going to come from, and I don't think they have top players in other positions either. Leno also had one of the best shot-stopping seasons of any goalkeeper in the Premier League. And not that I don't think Bern Leno is a good goalkeeper, but I think that's unlikely to be like a five-season thing for them. I think I think he's going to inevitably regress at some point on, on the shot-stopping numbers, and they're going to let in more goals with the level of chances they're conceding. Yeah, otherwise disappointments... I mean, I guess it just depends on what your expectations are, right? I, I guess maybe my surprise was my surprise pick actually should have been Liverpool in second, because I think the general public is lower on them than that. Uh, but I just think they are, they have attacking talent that has a high ceiling in some instances, or is I think Salah is probably still one of the three best players in the Premier League. Um, I agree. Three or four. I think the midfield is strong. I think the press looked really good last season. I think they made tactical adjustments. Uh, sorry, I think the press looked really good at the second half of last season. I think they made good tactical adjustments. And yeah, I think I still think Trent Alexander-Arnold and Salah and Robertson and Allison and yeah, like I think those are some of the best players in their positions in the sport. Um, and I think I think they've. I think they've got it figured out tactically, and now they've upgraded in key positions. Um, so I think that's maybe my other surprise instead of a, another disappointment. 
All right. Player of the year? M- Mo Salah. That'll be my pick. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I picked Holland. <laughs> yeah. That, I didn't want to pick Holland. I was I was going to do it, but I was like, no, you know what? I'll do something interesting. Um, um, manager? It's almost always someone in the top four, right? When was the last time it wasn't somebody? Which would be Pep. Just the winner. Like, did Pep win it last year? I think no. Arteta, Arteta might did. have. Who won it the year before? Pep. Like, who does this... Who, it goes... To, okay. No, but I mean, I don't know. We don't, we're not, not necessarily predict the award. I guess I guess just preemptively your... award your manager of the year. Oh, oh, that's different. <clears throat> is that the same question for player of the season? I guess so. Would you Would you pick Holland then? Yeah, I'd pick Holland. <laughs> I'd pick Holland. <laughs> if Holland is healthy, he's going to score 30 goals again. I mean, like... I'm... I'm going to go with, I mean, other than Pep, because that's boring. Um, I will pick Deserby. Yeah, let's go with Deserby. Okay, I'll pick Areola then. Nice. Bournemouth, yeah. Okay. That's all I have. So. Okay. I'm so excited uh, for next weekend, by the way. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was, I'm wearing my United kit. Um, and I was walking around. I like... Got up this morning and I went to go get coffee before we recorded this. And I put it on and I was walking down the street and I was like, oh, this is what it feels like. Because, you know, it's a Sunday morning. I was like, this is what it feels like going to the bar to go <laughs> watch a United match. Like, I was I was like, oh, I wish this was next weekend or really two weekends from now because we don't get a weekend match next weekend. Which is really brutal. Like, I want to have a weekend match opening weekend, but... Uh, it is what it is. Uh, I'm very excited for this United season. I think United have the chance to be better than they've been ever since 2012-2013. Um, yeah. I think that's where I'd leave this off. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone. I think next week we have, uh, we're going to review the Wolves match, uh, the season opener. And that'll be a Tuesday upload, as we said. Um, we might also have some signing news. I'm, I'm hoping we'll have some signing news uh, that we'll be able to deep dive into. Um, and so thanks for listening as usual and stay tuned. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.